section three of the fortunes of nigel this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one now scott and english are agreed and saunders hastes to cross the tweed where such the splendours that attend him his very mother scarce had kenned him his metamorphosis behold from glasgow frieze to cloth of gold his back-sword with the iron hilt to rapier fairly hatched and gilt was ever seen a gallant braver his very bonnets grown a beaver the reformation the long-continued hostilities which had for centuries separated the south and the north divisions of the island of britain had been happily terminated by the succession of the pacific james i to the english crown but although the united crown of england and scotland was worn by the same individual it required a long lapse of time and the succession of more than one generation ere the inveterate national prejudices which had so long existed betwixt the sister kingdoms were removed and the subjects of either side of the tweed brought to regard those upon the opposite bank as friends and as brethren these prejudices were of course most inveterate during the reign of king james the english subjects accused him of partiality to those of his ancient kingdom while the scots with equal injustice charged him with having forgotten the land of his nativity and with neglecting those early friends to whose allegiance he had been so much indebted the temper of the king peaceable even to timidity inclined him perpetually to interfere as mediator between the contending factions whose brawls disturbed the court but notwithstanding all his precautions historians have recorded many instances where the mutual hatred of two nations who after being enemies for a thousand years had been so very recently united broke forth with a fury which menaced a general convulsion and spreading from the highest to the lowest classes as it occasioned debates in council and parliament factions in the court and duels among the gentry was no less productive of riots and brawls amongst the lower orders while these heart-burnings were at the highest there flourished in the city of london an ingenious but whimsical and self-opinioned mechanic much devoted to abstract studies david ramsay by name who whether recommended by his great skill in his profession as the courtiers alleged or as was murmured among the neighbours by his birthplace in the good town of dalkeith near edinburgh held in james's household the post of maker of watches and horologues to his majesty he scorned not however to keep open shop within temple bar a few yards to the eastward of st dunstan's church the shop of a london tradesman at that time as it may be supposed was something very different from those we now see in the same locality the goods were exposed to sailing cases only defended from the weather by a covering of canvas and the whole resembled the stalls and booths 
now erected for the temporary accommodation of dealers at a country fair rather than the established emporium of a respectable citizen but most of the shopkeepers of note and david ramsay amongst others had their booth connected with a small apartment which opened backward from it and bore the same resemblance to the front shop that robinson crusoe's cavern did to the tent which he erected before it to this master ramsay was often accustomed to retreat to the labour of his abstruse calculations for he aimed at improvements and discoveries in his own art and sometimes pushed his researches like napier and other mathematicians of the period into abstract science when thus engaged he left the outer posts of his commercial establishment to be maintained by two stout-bodied and strong-voiced apprentices who kept up the cry of what do you lack what do you lack accompanied with the appropriate recommendations of the articles in which they dealt this direct and personal application for custom to those who chance to pass by is now we believe limited to monmouth street if it still exists even in that repository of ancient garments under the guardianship of the scattered remnant of israel but at the time we are speaking of it was practised alike by jew and gentile and served instead of all our present newspaper puffs and advertisements to solicit the attention of the public in general and of friends in particular to the unrivalled excellence of the goods which they offered to sale upon such easy terms that it might fairly appear that the vendors had rather a view to the general service of the public than to their own particular advantage the verbal proclaimers of the excellence of their commodities had this advantage over those who in the present day use the public papers for the same purpose that they could in many cases adapt their address to the peculiar appearance and apparent taste of the passengers this as we have said was also the case in monmouth street in our remembrance we have ourselves been reminded of the deficiencies of our femoral habiliments and exhorted upon that score to fit ourselves more beseemingly but this is a digression this direct and personal mode of invitation to customers became however a dangerous temptation to the young wags who were employed in the task of solicitation during the absence of the principal person interested in the traffic and confiding in their numbers and civic union the prentices of london were often seduced into taking liberties with the passengers and exercising their wit at the expense of those whom they had no hopes of converting into customers by their eloquence if this were resented by any act of violence the inmates of each shop were ready to pour forth in succour and in the words of an old song which dr johnson was used to hum up then rose the prentices all living in london both proper and tall desperate riots often arose on such occasions especially when the templars or other youths connected with the aristocracy were insulted or conceived themselves to be so upon such occasions bare steel was frequently opposed to the clubs of the citizens and death sometimes ensued on both sides the tardy and inefficient police of the time had no other resource than by the aldermen of the ward calling out the householders and putting a stop to the strife by overpowering numbers as the capulets 
and montagues are separated upon the stage at the period when such was the universal custom of the most respectable as well as the most inconsiderable shopkeepers in london david ramsay on the evening to which we solicit the attention of the reader retiring to more abstruse and private labours left the administration of his outer shop or booth to the aforesaid sharp-witted active able-bodied and well-voiced apprentices namely jenkin vincent and frank tunstall vincent had been educated at the excellent foundation of christ's church hospital and was bred therefore as well as born a londoner with all the acuteness address and audacity which belonged peculiarly to the youth of a metropolis he was now about twenty years old short in stature but remarkably strong made eminent for his feats upon holidays at football and other gymnastic exercises scarce rivalled in the broad sword-play though hitherto only exercised in the form of single stick he knew every lane blind alley and sequestered court of the ward better than his catechism was alike active in his master's affairs and in his own adventures of fun and mischief and so managed matters that the credit he acquired by the former bore him out or at least served for his apology when the latter propensity led him into scrapes of which however it is but fair to state that they had hitherto inferred nothing mean or discreditable some aberrations there were which david ramsay his master endeavoured to reduce to regular order when he discovered them and others which he winked at supposing them to answer the purpose of the escapement of a watch which disposes of a certain quantity of the extra power of that mechanical impulse which puts the whole in motion the physiognomy of jin vin by which abbreviation he was familiarly known through the ward corresponded with the sketch we have given of his character his head upon which his prentice's flap cap was generally flung in a careless and oblique fashion was closely covered with thick hair of raven black which curled naturally and closely and would have grown to great length but for the modest custom enjoined by his state in life and strictly enforced by his master which compelled him to keep it short cropped not unreluctantly as he looked with envy on the flowing ringlets in which the courtiers and aristocratic students of the neighbouring temple began to indulge themselves as marks of superiority and of gentility vincent's eyes were deep-set in his head of a strong vivid black full of fire roguery and intelligence and conveying a humorous expression even while he was uttering the usual small talk of his trade as if he ridiculed those who were disposed to give any weight to his commonplaces he had address enough however to add little touches of his own which gave a turn of drollery even to this ordinary routine of the booth and the alacrity of his manner his ready and obvious wish to oblige his intelligence and civility when he thought civility necessary made him a universal favourite with his master's customers his features were far from regular for his nose was flattish his mouth tending to the larger size and his complexion inclining to be more dark than was then thought consistent with masculine beauty but in despite of his having always breathed the air of a crowded city his complexion had the ruddy and manly expression of redundant health his turned-up nose gave an air of spirit and raillery to what he said and seconded the laugh of his eyes and his wide mouth was garnished with a pair of well-formed and well-coloured lips 
which when he laughed disclosed a range of teeth strong and well set and as white as the very pearl such was the elder apprentice of david ramsay memory's monitor watchmaker and constructor of horologues to his most sacred majesty james i jenkins's companion was the younger apprentice though perhaps he might be the elder of the two in years at any rate he was of a much more staid and composed temper francis tunstall was of that ancient and proud descent who claimed the style of the unstained because amid the various chances of the long and bloody wars of the roses they had with undeviating faith followed the house of lancaster to which they had originally attached themselves the meanest sprig of such a tree attached importance to the root from which it derived itself and tunstall was supposed to nourish in secret a proportion of that family pride which had extorted tears from his widowed and almost indigent mother when she saw herself obliged to consign him to a line of life inferior as her prejudices suggested to the course held by his progenitors yet with all this aristocratic prejudice his master found the well-born youth more docile regular and strictly attentive to his duty than his far more active and alert comrade tunstall also gratified his master by the particular attention which he seemed disposed to bestow on the abstract principles of science connected with the trade which he was bound to study the limits of which were daily enlarged with the increase of mathematical science vincent beat his companion beyond the distance post in everything like the practical adaptation of thorough practice in the dexterity of hand necessary to execute the mechanical branches of the art and double distanced him in all respecting the commercial affairs of the shop still david ramsay was wont to say that if vincent knew how to do a thing the better of the two tunstall was much better acquainted with the principles on which it ought to be done and he sometimes objected to the latter that he knew critical excellence too well ever to be satisfied with practical mediocrity the disposition of tunstall was shy as well as studious and though perfectly civil and obliging he never seemed to feel himself in his place while he went through the duties of the shop he was tall and handsome with fair hair and well-formed limbs good features well-opened light blue eyes a straight grecian nose and a countenance which expressed both good-humour and intelligence but qualified by a gravity unsuitable to his years and which almost amounted to dejection he lived on the best of terms with his companion and readily stood by him whenever he was engaged in any of the frequent skirmishes which as we have already observed often disturbed the city of london about this period but though tunstall was allowed to understand quarterstaff the weapon of the north country in a superior degree and though he was naturally both strong and active his interference in such a phrase seemed always matter of necessity and as he never voluntarily joined either their brawls or their sports he held a far lower place in the opinion of the youth of the ward than his hearty and active friend jen vin nay had it not been for the interest made for his comrade by the intercession of vincent tunstall would have stood some chance of being altogether excluded from the society of his contemporaries of the same condition who called him in scorn the cavallero cuddy and the gentle tunstall on the other hand the lad himself deprived of the fresh air 
in which he had been brought up and foregoing the exercise to which he had formerly been accustomed while the inhabitant of his native mansion lost gradually the freshness of his complexion and without showing any formal symptoms of disease grew more thin and pale as he grew older and at length exhibited the appearance of indifferent health without anything of the habits and complaints of an invalid excepting a disposition to avoid society and to spend his leisure time in private study rather than mingle in the sports of his companions or even resort to the theatres than the general rendezvous of his class where according to high authority they fought for half-bitten apples cracked nuts and filled the upper gallery with their clamours such were the two youths who called david ramsay master and with both of whom he used to fret from morning till night as their peculiarities interfered with his own or with the quiet and beneficial course of his traffic upon the whole however the youths were attached to their master and he a good-natured though an absent and whimsical man was scarce less so to them and when a little warmed with wine at an occasional junketing he used to boast in his northern dialect of his twa bonny lads and the looks that the court ladies threw at them when visiting his shop in their carriages when on a frolic into the city but david ramsay never failed at the same time to draw up his own tall thin lathy skeleton extend his lean jaws into an alarming grin and indicate by a nod of his yard-long visage and a twinkle of his little grey eye that there might be more faces in fleet street worth looking at than those of frank and jenkin his old neighbour widow simmons the seamstress who had served in her day the very tip-top revellers of the temple with ruffs cuffs and bands distinguished more deeply the sort of attention paid by the females of quality who so regularly visited david ramsay's shop to its inmates the boy frank she admitted used to attract the attention of the young ladies as having something gentle and downcast in his looks but then he could not better himself for the poor youth had not a word to throw at a dog now jinvin was so full of his jibes and jeers and so willing and so ready and so serviceable and so mannerly all the while with a step that sprung like a buck's in epping forest in his eye that twinkled as black as a gypsy's that no woman who knew the world would make a comparison betwixt the lads as for poor neighbour ramsay himself the man she said was a civil neighbour and a learned man doubtless and might be a rich man if he had common sense to back his learning and doubtless for a scot neighbour ramsay was nothing of a bad man but he was so constantly grimed with smoke gilded with brass filings and smeared with lamp-black and oil that dame simmons judged it would require his whole shop full of watches to induce any feasible woman to touch the said neighbour ramsay with anything save a pair of tongs a still higher authority dame ursula wife to benjamin subtle chop the barber was of exactly the same opinion such were in natural qualities and public estimation the two youths who in a fine april day having first rendered their dutiful service and attendance on the table of their master and his daughter at their dinner at one o'clock such are ye lads of london was the severe discipline undergone by your predecessors and having regaled themselves upon the fragments in company with two female domestics one a cook and maid of all work the other called mistress margaret's maid now relieved their master in the duty of the outward shop and agreeably to the established custom were soliciting by their entreaties and recommendations of their master's manufacture the attention and encouragement of the passengers 
in this species of service it may be easily supposed that jenkin vincent left his more reserved and bashful comrade far in the background the latter could only articulate with difficulty and as an act of duty which he was rather ashamed of discharging the established words of form what do you lack what do you lack clocks watches barnacles what do you lack watches clocks barnacles what do you lack sir what do you lack madam barnacles watches clocks but this dull and dry iteration however varied by diversity of verbal arrangement sounded flat and mingled with the rich and recommendatory oratory of the bold-faced deep-mouthed and ready-witted jenkin vincent what do you lack noble sir what do you lack beauteous madam he said in a tone at once bold and soothing which often was so applied as both to gratify the persons addressed and to excite a smile from other hearers god bless your reverence to a beneficed clergyman the greek and hebrew have harmed your reverence's eyes by a pair of david ramsay's barnacles the king god bless his sacred majesty never reads hebrew or greek without them are you well advised of that said a fat parson from the vale of evesham nay if the head of the church wears them god bless his sacred majesty i will try what they can do for me for i have not been able to distinguish one hebrew letter from another since i cannot remember the time when i had a bad fever choose me a pair of his most sacred majesty's own wearing my good youth this is a pair and please your reverence said jenkin producing a pair of spectacles which he touched with an air of great deference and respect which his most blessed majesty placed this day three weeks on his own blessed nose and would have kept them for his own sacred use but that the setting being as your reverence sees of the purest jet was as his sacred majesty was pleased to say fitter for a bishop than for a secular prince his sacred majesty the king said the worthy divine was ever a very daniel in his judgment give me the barnacles by good youth and who can say what knows they may bestride in two years hence our reverend brother of gloucester waxes in years he then pulled out his purse paid for the spectacles and left the shop with even a more important step than that which had paused to enter it for shame said tunstall to his companion these glasses will never suit one of his years you are a fool frank said vincent in reply had the good doctor wished glasses to read with he would have tried them before buying he does not want to look through them himself and these will serve the purpose of being looked at by other folks as well as the best magnifiers in the shop what do you lack he cried resuming his solicitations mirrors for your toilette my pretty madam your headgear is something awry pity since it is so well fancied the woman stopped and bought a mirror what do you lack a watch master sergeant a watch that will go as long as a lawsuit as steady and true as your own eloquence hold your peace sir answered the knight of the coif who was disturbed by vince addressed whilst in deep consultation with an eminent attorney hold your peace you are the loudest-tongued varlet betwixt the devil's tavern and guild hall a watch reiterated the undaunted jenkin that shall not lose thirteen minutes in a thirteen years lawsuit he's out of hearing a watch with four wheels and a bar movement a watch that shall tell you master poet how long the patience of the audience will endure your next piece at the black bull the bard laughed and fumbled in the pocket of his slops till he chased into a corner and fairly caught a small piece of coin here is a tester to cherish thy wit good boy he said gramercy said vin at the next play of yours i will bring down a set of roaring boys that shall make all the critics in the pit and the gallants on the stage civil or else the curtain shall smoke for it now that i call mean said tunstall to take the poor rhymer's money 
who has so little left behind you are an owl once again said vincent if he has nothing left to buy cheese and radishes he will only dine a day the sooner with some patron or some player for that is his fate five days out of the seven it is unnatural that a poet should pay for his own pot of beer i will drink his tester for him to save him from such shame and when his third night comes round he shall have pennyworths for his coin i promise you but here comes another guest customer look at that strange fellow see how he gapes at every shop as if he would swallow the wares oh st dunstan has caught his eye pray god he swallow not the images see how he stands astonished as old adam and eve ply their ding-dong come frank thou art a scholar construe me that same fellow with his blue cap with a cock's feather in it to show he's of gentle blood god wot his grey eyes his yellow hair his sword with a ton of iron in the handle his grey threadbare cloak his step like a frenchman his look like a spaniard a book at his girdle and a broad dudgeon dagger on the other side to show him half pedant half bully how call you that pageant frank a raw scotsman said tunstall just come up i suppose to help the rest of his countrymen to gnaw old england's bones a palmer worm i reckon to devour what the locust has spared even so frank answered vincent just as the poet sings sweetly in scotland he was born and bred and though a beggar must be fed hush said tunstall remember our master pshaw answered his mercurial companion he knows on which side his bread is buttered and i warrant you has not lived so long among englishmen and by englishmen to quarrel with us for bearing an english mind but see our scot has done gazing at st dunstan's and comes our way by this light a proper lad and a sturdy in spite of freckles and sunburning he comes nearer still i will have at him and if you do said his comrade you may get a broken head he looks not as if he would carry coals a fig for your threat said vincent and instantly addressed the stranger buy a watch most noble northern thane buy a watch to count the hours of plenty since the blessed moment you left berwick behind you buy barnacles to see the english gold lies ready for your grip buy what you will you shall have credit for three days for were your pockets as bare as father fergus's you are a scot in london and you will be stocked in that time the stranger looked sternly at the waggish apprentice and seemed to grasp his cudgel in rather a menacing fashion buy physic said the undaunted vincent if you will buy neither time nor light physic for a proud stomach sir there is apothecary shop on the other side of the way here the probationary disciple of galen who stood at his master's door in his flat cap and canvas sleeves with a large wooden pestle in his hand took up the ball which was flung to him by jenkin with what he lacks sir by a choice caledonian salway flows sulphur cum lutio quant suff to be taken after a gentle rubbing down with an english oaken towel said vincent the bonny scot had given full scope to the play of this small artillery of city wit by halting his stately pace and viewing grimly first the one assailant and then the other as if menacing either repartee or more violent revenge but phlegm or prudence got the better of his indignation and tossing his head as one who valued not the raillery to which he had been exposed he walked down fleet street pursued by the horse-laugh of his tormentors the scot will not fight till he see his own blood said tunstall whom his north of england extraction had made familiar with all manner of proverbs against those who lay yet farther north than himself faith i know not said jenkin he looks dangerous that fellow he will hit some one over the noddle before he goes far hark hark they are rising accordingly the well-known cry of prentices prentices clubs clubs 
now rang along fleet street and jenkins snatching up his weapon which lay beneath the counter ready at the slightest notice and calling to tunstall to take his bat and follow leaped over the hatch-door which protected the outer shop and ran as fast as he could towards the affray echoing the cry as he ran and elbowing or shoving aside whoever stood in his way his comrade first calling to his master to give an eye to the shop followed jenkins example and ran after him as fast as he could but with more attention to the safety and convenience of others while old david ramsay with hands and eyes uplifted a green apron before him and the glass which he had been polishing thrust into his bosom came forth to look after the safety of his goods and chattels knowing by old experience that when the cry of clubs once arose he would have little aid on the part of his apprentices End of chapter one